You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh As a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat okay. the eat all the leftover the leftover chocolate chips, which was a lot. Then you'd roll the barrel oh, up so to fun. up the hill. And then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down. And we've also had an amazing guest like Mike the Miz, Jason Isbell, Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker of Slater Kinney, and many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear, with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hi, welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name is Jamie. My name is Caitlin. And this is the Bechdel cast. This is a movie podcast where we talk oh, about yeah. the portrayal of women in movies. Oh, yeah, I forgot. First, I we oh wanted to. It was announced oh, yeah. some recently. Some housekeeping. Some housekeeping things. Mm-hmm. Some cool things. It was announced recently. I found an article on Engadget.com. Cool website for cool. tech heads. Oh, I uh, am not super familiar with it. I'm going to pretend to be. Cool. Mm-hmm. The article is IMDb adds an F rating to help users identify feminist-friendly movies. Does that seem a little bit condescending? The F, it yeah. Feels, or just We're like confusing. Like, oh, this movie has an F, but it's Great. good. <laughs> Should be A for ally <laughs> so that hey, was cool i like that i like it too i like that a lot so be oh. on the lookout for that i'm not sure when they're launching that exactly but and then uh the, the other thing that we 
learned about since our last episode is the sexy lamp test, which is sort of a, a contemporary spin on the Bechdel test. That uh, And the sexy lamp, that's a reference to a Christmas, a Christmas story. story, is it not? Okay, so the sexy lamp test is uh, none of the women can be replaced by a sexy lamp and have the plot remain intact. So it's basically just like an, a lesson in objectification. Right. Which we're down for. We're down. Yeah. There's so many variations on tests. I mean, I mean, on this website alone, the, the Bechtel test, sexy lamp test, the Mako Mori test. The Mako Mori test, it says, a movie has to have at least one female character with her own narrative arc that is not about supporting a man's story. Okay. So it has to be her own. She like has to have her own story that doesn't have anything to do with a man's goal or desires. And then there's the Furiosa test, which I think is mislabeled here because I'm pretty sure I created that test. And the, it's more the Furiosa rule, which is that the baldest woman the baldest. in the movie is in charge. <laughs> yes. And I think that that rule pretty much holds up. Name me a movie with a bald woman who is not in charge. I don't know if I can name you a movie with a bald woman apart from Mad Max Fury Road and Uh, G.I. Jane. Oh, damn it. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. I was like, "Uh um, Trump card. (laughs) There's another one. The antifreeze test says that no woman assaulted, injured, or killed to further the story of another character. Hmm. So that cannot happen or else it does not pass the antifreeze test. So um, someone had tweeted at us a while back letting us know about the sexy lamp test. I wish I could remember that person's Twitter handle. I don't. Sorry. We'll put it in the description. Yeah. Anyway, these a few of these uh, tests were brought to our attention, so now we got some other um, litmus tests to apply to the movies we talk about Excellent. if we want. Anyway, let's get this moving right along. All right, let's do it. And introduce our wonderful guest. Yeah. She's a screenwriter Hello. and she has written for Reductress, mm-hmm. Natalie Baseman. Hi. Hi. Thanks, Thanks for being been... here. Oh, it is a pleasure to be here. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. Oh. So one of the things we it's often mention on the podcast, and I don't like to bring it up, is that I have oh, a screenwriting yeah. master's degree. How many? <laughs> How Guess many? who else has a screenwriting master's degree? What up? Not me. Natalie does. Oh, God damn it. So Are you serious? One. Are you serious? It's an MFA. Guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm triggered. <laughs> so I'm Natalie, triggered. I'm going home. You know you understand my struggle. Oh, uh, it's hard. It's uh, I went to film school because I love movies, and it it made me so I can't watch a movie without destroying it. I have a much more critical eye when I I like can see the screenwriter's hand in like every mm-hmm. decision that's made when I'm watching a movie, but I'm still able to enjoy them. Yeah, well, if the movie's good enough, sure. I'll forget about it. Yeah, like the movie we're going to talk about. I went to radio school to kill my New England accent <laughs> and develop a very smooth delivery voice, and it's working. Thank you so much. Mm. I used to I used to uh, host. A late night R&B show and be like, this is 88.9 at night. If you have any calls, feel free to call in for your loved one. And then it would be like CVS brand Delilah. (laughs) It was nice. I was like, I hope people are fucking to this. And sometimes it would just be like horny older guys would call in and be like, play a song for my wife. And it'd be like, this next song goes out to Louisa on her 30th anniversary. I definitely would have listened to your show then. (gasps) Thank you so much. I also hosted a show called The Playground where I only talked in a nasal tone. So that's what I did. That's why I'm in debt. 
Good job. Yay. Thank you. My mom told me today that she has a hard time distinguishing our voices whenever she's listening to the podcast. I have sometimes too. Really? Do we sound yeah. enough alike? I think that we have. Maybe like a I should start tone. talking in like an Australian accent. Hey, are we? Hello, s- it's me, Kaitlyn. Then I would say, I don't That's know. That's really good. It's not bad. That's yeah. really good. Thanks. I uh, I only have like two two voices, which is tricky. I can talk like my former coworker Nick, and then I can just talk. Let's it. hear it. Oh. Hey Nick, what's going on? Yeah, hey, what's going on? My name's Nick Hansen. <laughs> oh, ju- I know Nick Hansen. Yeah, Nick Hansen. He's like, I have a blog about turkey sandwiches. I live in Minnesota. I'm the nicest boy alive. And I used to like write sketches about Nick. Uh, everyone follow him on Twitter at, at Nick Hansen MN. I used to write sketches about Nick when we worked together, and I would always make him like a vicious murderer and kept his name. Like, there was one I used to do where I would be like wearing a wig and I'd have a gun under the wig. I would be just Nick going from table to table being, uh, hello. I have a gun under my wig. Do you believe me? And then people would be like, no. And he'd be like, take off my wig. I defy you to take off my wig. It was so much fun. I miss it. <laughs> that's That's uh, that is a pretty good Nick impression, though. I, he and I went to grad school together again. I don't no like way. to mention it. I don't like. <laughs> oh my god, Caitlin! To I went Nick. to grad school. Oh my god, guys! Whoa! In spite of the fact that I've been making cartoons about Nick being a murderer, and the cartoons are making fun of his turkey sandwich blog, he sent me and my dad a Christmas card. He's oh, a nice. class act. He's wow. a very Dad nice Nicholas. man. He's, he sent me a DVD of Ferris Bueller's Day Off on my birthday. I don't even have a DVD player. I love it. Hey, speaking of DVDs, let's talk about the movie that we're here to talk about. Oh, okay. Don't sound so defeated because it's a movie that we enjoy. We, we really like it. We really like it. Uh, we're talking about Moana. It came out last year, so it's not as though any of us have a huge history with this movie, but you saw it in theaters, right, Natalie? I saw it at a, uh, it was a special preview at my grad school. Whoa. Whoa. What, you went to grad school? Tell me <laughs> oh more. Oh, my Sometimes God. they do uh, special previews. Uh, they had a special screening of Moana that was presented by the Pacific Islanders group uh, mm. at the school. Oh, cool. Uh, which was really great because there were a lot of students there who are either from the Pacific Islands, uh, Hawaii, or around there, or descended from there and mm-hmm. now live here and so they were all super pumped for it so it was just a really great vibe going into it and then there was an interview with the screenwriter after oh very cool yeah and this was this before like the theatrical release yeah just oh, a couple cool. weeks there and i didn't know that the screenwriter of this had uh had a hell of a year last year because he also wrote and directed zootopia Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he was like a woke-ass animator last year. And he looks like just the whitest dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he he for sure golfs, but he also had an amazing 2016. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you saw it a little bit before, because it came out in 2016, um, around November, was it? Yeah, it was right. It was right before the holidays. And I just... I just kept thinking about it. I left the theater and I I went in with very low expectations, maybe a little bit higher because I did enjoy Frozen so much. Uh, And then I was just so blown away and just listened to the soundtrack forever after. And it's still stuck in my head. And I rewatched it for the third time last night in preparation for this. And it is it's just a beautiful movie. It is it's almost everything I ever wanted out of a Disney princess movie, but Mm -hmm. never, never knew I wanted. Yeah, exactly. Every time I've seen it, uh, I've been so emotional because it's like this is the this is what Disney movies should have been like all along. Yeah. Caitlin didn't cry, but she did sing. 
I do, right. I so I watched it uh, twice in the past day and a half. So the story is Moana is the daughter of a chief on an island called Motunui, and we learn about this sort of creation legend in the very beginning, where this demigod Maui has stolen the heart. I like to call it the heart of the ocean. Titanic <gasps> reference. Totally. Don't they call it the heart of the ocean? I don't think they ever actually do it. They always call it the heart of Tafiti. Oh, right. Because I mean, I feel like that would be like a very. I I would have loved if there was an overt Titanic reference. Reference. Well, she wears it around her neck. If it was true, and Maui draws her naked. No, that doesn't happen. (laughs) That would be statutorily. Yes, it was. (laughs) Yeah. So Maui steals the heart from this mother island, and then it creates this sort of plague that is spreading to the other islands and like diseasing the crops and all this stuff. So this starts to happen to the island that Moana lives on with her family, her mom and her dad and her grandma. She also throughout the course of her childhood is drawn to the ocean and her dad's like you can't go out it's dangerous you have to stay on the island you can't go out sailing and she's like but i wanna so i think it'd be funny if we subbed in cocaine for the ocean for this movie (laughs) she's like i can't stay away i was born with this desire to snort coke (laughs) and then she sings the same song about it it would explain how she got to the island so quickly right she's just very focused she's like i gotta go right now i'm fast oh yeah i know she yeah she's got that coke addled brain yeah so she's drawn to the ocean and the ocean sort of chooses her to it like delivers her this heart this little rock that's the heart of the ocean when she's a baby but she doesn't really know about it turns out her grandma found it for her and has like been keeping it for her and then mm-hmm. when the crops start to get too diseased and there's no fish she's like i gotta go and fix this oh there's a whole global warming climate change oh, yes. narrative to this. oh i've yeah. made notes about it so she decides to she gets the call to adventure she goes off and she takes a boat because she learns that their ancestors were all voyagers. And so she's like, i got to get on these boats. I'm going to go off and I'm going to go to uh, Maui, this demigod who fucked everything up. I want to back up a little bit to say 10 minutes of topless baby. Yeah, We do see some baby's nipples. So we baby. see baby nips and progressive in every way. I'm like, you know what? loving not aroused by these baby nips just happy they're here happy they're out i didn't even think about that and i'm so happy that's the case i think i literally shouted baby nips (laughs) (laughs) right we watched it together this is a we did movie we watched together oh we're Um, so in love la's hottest couple (laughs) (laughs) oh and when the grandmother when she's sick and dying she brings moana close and says go and she says grab maui and you tell him i am Moana from Montanui and you will do this. You will sail across the ocean and you will do this. And just so forceful and yeah. beautiful. Oh, mm-hmm. it was great. So she does, she goes and she um, kind of self-teaches uh, herself. I do feel to... like with the death of the grandma, they do shoehorn in a maternal death as a motivation. Um, but, bit, but I wasn't bothered by it. I wasn't either, but it just felt mm-hmm. worth mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. So she goes, she finds Maui. He is a dick, but we love him. And he agrees. Good job, Caitlin. <laughs> he agrees to reluctantly help her after she convinces him, yeah, you thought you were great, but no one likes you anymore. So mm-hmm. you have to redeem yourself. 
and they, you know, encounter some coconut pirates along the way. Mm-hmm. They well, encounter... he only agrees so he can go get his magical hook back. Right. And then they go do that, and there's a very sexy song. Shiny? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. The Yeah, the Jermaine Clement pulling a Bowie. I loved that. That yeah. was so good. And You're Welcome, which is the ultimate mansplaining song. Yes. Uh-huh. The Rock just really delivers on every level. So, right, he's a shapeshifter, and, but he needs a magical hook that was bestowed to him by the gods to be able to shapeshift. So they go and they get his hook, and then he, like, again, reluctantly agrees to help her restore the heart. And they go, and there's a lava monster they have to defeat, and she questions who she is the whole time, like, am I the right person for this? Why was I chosen? And he's just, like, egging her on, being like, yeah, why were you chosen? And so she has all this self-doubt, um, but she's very driven throughout the entire thing. And then finally they get to Tafiti. She restores the heart. She's the one who does it, even though the whole time it's she like, is, yeah. Maui, you have to be the one to do it. And then she realizes, no, I have to be the one to do it. So she is um, so integral in the like actual climax and resolution of the story, mm-hmm. which is great. Last night I was watching it by myself, and I was basically crying the whole time. So what are your cry moments? Because I cry every time I've seen this movie, and I've cried listening to soundtrack, and it is... Last night I tried to write down when I cried mm-hmm. so we could compare it. So what are, like, the, what most, are the big moments? The, the biggest one that makes me the most emotional is... Toward the end, after Maui has decided to leave, like they attempted defeating, uh, I forget what the lava monster's name is. Taka. Taka. The name is Taka. Um, They attempt defeating her once and they fail. So Maui's like, I'm going to get out of here. And uh, Moana's like, I've made a mistake. I shouldn't even, you, you chose the wrong person. Please choose someone else, Ocean. And then her grandma shows up and they sing a song together. And she's like, I am Moana. That's and such just a like so good. <gasps> Waterworks. The lyrics of that song, because I was singing along and then realized I actually don't know the lyrics of this. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just singing the emotions. But then I looked up the lyrics and was bawling because they are beautiful. It's like there's a line about how the scars make you stronger. And I, I mean, we we'll, might as well jump into it. But I really think this movie is so much about overcoming trauma and overcoming these hard things that can happen to you and and even though Moana doesn't necessarily she's she's the savior of the victim mm-hmm. yeah uh, and it's and it's in that moment she is so defeated and then overcomes it by just repeating who she is yeah and it's beautiful <laughs> the Disney movie that it most closely reflected for me was Pocahontas, mm. which was my first favorite movie. Mm. I believe that there are hours of home video footage of me just screaming Colors of the Wind at a mountain in New Hampshire <laughs> at like age three. But for for a couple of reasons, even though like it's a, you know, Pocahontas is hinged on, you know, she falls in love with the man. But also she lets him go at the end. But more so like this uh, young woman who goes on an adventure and then at the end she learns about herself. She learns about A, B, and C, but then decides that her place is at home with her family and there's some sort of duty connected uh, mm-hmm. to her home and to family, which I I wasn't sure where this movie was going to end. I wasn't sure if Moana was going to leave home or stay. And, and I think I would have been happy with either. And it didn't bother me one bit that she 
like returned home after this journey, all wise and and coming of age. Well, she returns home, but then she's like, guys, let's all be voyagers again. Right. And she like teaches her dad how to be a wayfinder mm-hmm. and stuff. It is beautiful. Caitlin, what was your Disney princess movie growing up, if you had one? The ones that I connected with most were Little Mermaid, uh, Aladdin, which... I mean, Jasmine is a princess. It's, not a, it's kind of a Disney princess movie. She's like, yeah, she's barely in it. I, I, I also really loved Beauty and the Beast and the Little Mermaid. But oh. those are both like so problematic that I don't even want to admit to anyone. Yeah, I was a big Cinderella girl. And I, Ooh, I, would, okay. I would watch both the Disney version and then like every other version I could get. Rodgers and Hammerstein, on. baby. Uh, the best. The Brandy With version Brandy and of Rodgers and Hammerstein. What is so great about Moana is that they really play with the tropes of the fairy tale and of the Disney princess movie and turn it on its on its head, but in ways that are not jarring, but in ways that make right. sense. So like the fairy godmother in Cinderella saves the day and also Cinderella would still be there if the fairy godmother never came and the fairy godmother saves her over and over again, whereas the fairy godmother in this movie, I would say, is the ocean. And yes, she is saved by the ocean over and over again. But the ocean is presented as very dangerous at the start of the movie. Right. Almost kills her. And she saves herself. Right. She gets her foot caught underneath a rock and then breaks mm-hmm. it away and swims away. And she, whenever I was trying to pay attention to it this last time I watched it, that every time the ocean saves her, she has done something to try and save herself before the ocean does. Right. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I was worried about the ocean kind of becoming a device to get her out of situation, but it never really came to that. It was always, I mean, there were times where it came in as an assistant, but, you know, she she was always the one taking action. Yeah, she and does all the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah. There is, oh, man, it was so good. And, and I totally agree with you, Natalie, that, like, all the, you know, displacements of the basic Disney princess tropes were didn't feel shoehorned or forced or like overdone which they totally could have been and the fact that uh i feel like it's worth mentioning that moana's body type is like normal actually it's like mildly realistic yeah as close to proportional as probably a princess style character has ever been yeah which is really really cool no like two inch waist and and all this stuff she seems like strong like Mm -hmm. physically strong and able which her character would need to be right and we see her like doing these like pretty amazing feats of strength every time she'd pull a rope i'd be like well that is i couldn't do that yeah (laughs) she's kind of like aladdin in that way she's from the beginning of the movie she is doing these feats of strength and these kind of acrobatics and she runs up and fixes the palm fronds on the building and stops the leaking mm-hmm. and and then everything with the ship requires so much physical strength mm-hmm. right. uh, mm-hmm. on the same topic of like the bodies and stuff one of cry moment number one what the first time i saw it was so the grandmother was like just a beautiful character and their relationship is wonderful mm-hmm. but the grandmother's arms like hit something inside of me that I didn't know was there. Really? (laughs) And it was like, you know, even when they show uh, different figures on TV, Mm -hmm. it's often larger hips, a larger bust, even a larger waist. But, you know, something like arms are still very skinny and trim and like... Or like sleeved. Or sleeved. And and to see this like woman's skin that is alive, that is an old woman's 
body mm-hmm. that was yeah. like, oh my god, those are my grandmother's arms. Show me that decay, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was actually going to bring up the grandmother too because that was the other big thing that reminded me of Pocahontas, except the role of the grandmother is a tree. Is a tree, but. That tree is dope and very helpful, (laughs) like Moana's grandma. My mom, we had like a tree that it was not a willow tree. It looked nothing like the tree. But I was so into Pocahontas as a kid that I think she like brought a Sharpie out to her tree. And there was like a little hole in it, like Grandmother Willow's face. And she added a little smiley face with eyelashes. And then she'd be like, Jamie, look. And I would just go talk to the tree. It was maybe (laughs) to get rid of me for a while because I would just go confess to the tree. That's amazing. Oh, a thing I wanted to mention about her just being physically strong, which that is oftentimes when movies want to like show that a a woman character is like not your typical lady. Not like the other girls. They'll make her like (laughs) stronger than normal or a trope you see over and over again, which is I don't really understand is she's good at fixing cars. But like <laughs> Megan Fox and yeah. Transformers, and something I forgot to mention in um, Runaway Bride, it, Julia Roberts knows how to fix cars, and that makes She's her cool vaguely and quirky. Handy. But anyway, it wasn't like oh, what a stupid trope to rely on in Moana. Like she lives on an island, and you know they're farming and, and harvesting crops, and like she would have to be it, right. It's strong. so justified and we see her getting trained for it so it like comes from somewhere and it doesn't feel like one of those lame ass like action movie tropes of like you know there's this great I think it's a McSweeney's piece that I think about at least once a week about like I'm the woman and I can kick and it's like you know like the one amazing thing the woman can do and then the guys turn to her like what the woman can do a thing and she's like whatever i guess i can and that's like the one display of female strength she like kicks open a door and they're like wow we're more horny now you know and it's just (laughs) like so infuriating and you can feel the screenwriter like grabbing his crotch in a congratulatory fashion oh of course yeah there's a moment when maui abandons her on the oh, island talk about Maui. yeah we have oh there's so I, much this episode may be two hours long <laughs> what a beefcake <laughs> i have Love so much him. to talk about so she gets trapped on the island because maui traps her in a cave and there's like a statue that he clearly made of himself yeah <laughs> and she like crawls up it and then like kicks it over and like uses it to jump into which is a very like raiders of the lost ark yeah moment. yes uh, and then she, like, has to climb out of this, like, hole in the ceiling and stuff. And I'm just like, fuck yeah, dude. She's just, Yeah, she yeah, defies Maui ahead. so much. I love it. Yeah. I yeah. love I love her and Maui's relationship. I was, the whole time, I was like, Caitlin, will they kiss? And will I feel okay about it? Because there were moments where I was like, is this daddy or boyfriend? You know, like, there's moments where their hands would touch. And I'd be like, hmm, he is one million years old. Am I okay with this? And then by the end, I was sort of like, you know what? I am okay with it. But then nothing (laughs) Nothing happened. But that's like one of the amazing things about this movie is there is a complete void of romantic interest. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and that is part of... Oh my God. I'm doing a great job. There's there's applause coming from the showroom downstairs. Um, That's like part of what makes this movie so amazing. And because I think I'm so, first of all, trained to expect. And second of all, genuinely love princess movies that I was sort of waiting for a love interest to arrive and it never happened. And in retrospect, that's great. Had she kissed Maui, I would be like, okay. 
Oh, I would have been furious. <laughs> I would have, I would have, the first time I saw it, I would have come immediately. The second time I'd be like, hey, maybe that's this not didn't too need to be a Hey, he's a million story. and no. she's 15. And yeah. I think that's, I think that's a real, um, the only reason why we like Maui is because The Rock is amazing. And because yeah. Maui, like when you break down what he does, he steals the heart of this island, which is a god who made him. He right. essentially rapes her, takes her power, uses it to do all kinds of shit. It becomes his power. And then Moana is tasked to bring that heart back to the island. And all he does is try and kill Moana. <laughs> I know. He is constantly trying to throw her off a boat in he the middle throws her of off the a boat ocean. Multiple yeah. times. Leave her, just leave her on this island that he was deserted for years and years. He talks down to her. He is rude. He calls her, he derogatorily calls her a princess, mm-hmm. which is very interesting because it was, I found that to be a little heavy handed that, you know, they wanted to get the princess thing in there. But the way they did it, I liked because she stood up for herself right. and was just like, I'm not a princess. Yeah, there's a line where he's like, Whatever. if you wear a dress and you have an animal sidekick, you're a princess. And she's like, no, I'm the daughter of a chief. I see his point. Fuck off. You know what? <laughs> I see oh, his point. And it's both. It, yeah. Can't it's it be both. both? I almost found it two third wave that she's like, I'm not a princess. I was like, you can be a princess. You can just be a better princess. Mm. This mm-hmm. is the final wave of feminism. <laughs> and it's invented by me. Moana is a new wave of she feminism. She is final wave feminism. It's the last uh, one. It's is there I was oh, I was gonna try to make a pun about ocean waves. Speaking of bad and, pun, fuck the Twitter joke in this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maui a makes a Twitter I every time there's like a I was like, why this movie is dated in no other way except for that horrible joke. Yeah. And so that Twitter joke in so many ways encapsulates his his character. So he makes a joke that's dumb and bad. He makes a bad joke, which is, uh, you know, when you're doing a great job. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) When you write with a bird, it's called a tweet or it's called Twitter, uh, which is a real groaner. And then later on, (laughs) they get attacked by these coconut things. Oh, my God. This point of the month. And we'll get there, too, because (laughs) it's a lot of violence. The emoji coconuts. (laughs) Uh, But he she loses the heart. Mm-hmm. Which is the whole reason why she's doing everything. The heart of this ocean, which is this green stone. And he smiles and he's like, but you got one right here. And he holds up the paddle where he etched that stupid Twitter joke where he signed his name in a heart. Yeah. And it's like, you piece of shit. You are not <laughs> oh. taking her seriously at any moment. And I love Maui. I love him. Uh-huh. He's charming and He's got a hot bod. His tattoos are ridiculous. He's a beefcake. He's a beefcake beyond. He's a demigod. He's Hercules. And everything he does when I write it down is like, I fucking hate you. Yeah. I hate you are the villain. You are the villain of this movie. This is the point where I would usually say in the podcast, I could fix him. Fix him. <laughs> I could fix him with my love oh, and my God body. Damn. And I would like... Jamie, no. <laughs> to be afforded that opportunity. Jamie, no. Okay. I, it is. The Rock plays a major. 
thing in, in what makes me horny for Maui and also <laughs> probably some internalized misogyny. But The Rock is the most talented man to ever live. If he ever turns out to be a fucking monster, I will throw myself off a building because he is perfect. Mm-hmm. I had the same thought today. And, like, what does that say? What does that say about us that we are waiting for the other shoe to drop on these men that we love? I mean, more often than not, yeah. Yeah. Like, it, you know, every time, I feel like every time I mention being a fan of a straight man of of any distinction, someone goes like, oh, no, but didn't you hear? Like, he killed 45 people (laughs) using a shank he made out of soap. But he's not in jail, you know, and then I'm just like, oh, great. Now my, you know, I can't love Kelsey Grammer anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kelsey Grammer. Nicholas he's a Brendan. Creep. Yeah. We've lost them all. Fuck. You know, have we lost Alex, Alex Trebek yet? Can I keep him? I Is he a good boy? I haven't heard anything. <laughs> have you ever seen him? Is he a good boy? By a good boy, I <laughs> mean, not a felon. You know, if you're listening right now and you haven't seen pictures of shirtless young Alex Trebek, treat yourself. Oh, my God. He has the same mustache. Your no, spank bank is so eclectic. Incredible abs. It's weird. Amazing. I, I have a real thing I would like to say. Great. As we tend to find again and again, in spite of the fact that this is so well done in regards to how it treats its female characters, obviously it passes the Bechdel test with flying colors. It is directed by and written by straight white men, which is kind of par for the course when it comes to stuff like this. But I went into watching it with you blind and and didn't do my research until after I'd already finished because I didn't want to find out anything that would disappoint me in advance, such as it was written and directed completely by straight white men. And it's like it's not surprising. And in some regards, it's encouraging that straight white men, at least, you know, giving them the least benefit of the doubt, understand that it's now marketable to be reasonable to their female characters and to empower them. But it's still, you know, it's disappointing in its way that it's like, okay, it's great that these guys understand that people are interested in a movie uh, with a, a female protagonist with a normal body and ambition and, you know, like a really grounded character. But come on. like yeah. you know. I mean, there are plenty of women screenwriters and directors and other filmmakers. Boy, are they? There's two of them in the room right now. <laughs> I know. But, so we are I'm hireable. Triggered. Yeah. It's a, I'm here, too. When a, you are also, you're mm-hmm. a, a very talented animator and editor and filmmaker Thank as well. You. When I went and saw this at school and there was an interview with the screenwriter at the end, it was very disappointing to see him walk on stage and yeah. see that it was another white guy who works at Disney, looks like the same. And I do wonder, it, I think you make an interesting point, Jamie, in that how much of corporate interest kind of goes into those decisions. Because one of the interesting things he said, someone had asked, you made the decision to have Moana's mother be alive because most Disney princesses have Mm -hmm. dead mothers. And he said, oh, yeah, well, she was dead to begin with. Then someone pointed out that it it was dead mother and we had to change it. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. So how many other points did you have to change because someone was like... No, you can't. You can't do that. Maybe this is jaded, but I I would say probably a lot. Like Mm -hmm. if they thought that 
feminism and positive portrayal of, of women characters was in no ma- way marketable. I There's no chance to me that this would have been like a major Disney release like they've received so much criticism over the years Mm -hmm. and i'm like i i feel like you know with the internet that's only grown larger and and more pervasive and it's i don't know i mean it really is kind of the best case scenario where it's like well at least this movie was made and it's really good and it's corporate interest aside it sends the right message to the right people, which is young girls mm-hmm. seeing this movie. Um, it's a but, start. It's a it's good a start. start. And yeah. it means that but there like, are... Let a, let a woman get a fucking job for once. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And right. it's, what's upsetting is that so there were women in this process. There were tons, tons of people worked on this film. So there were dozens and dozens, if not more, women who worked on this movie. And they obviously listened to them because yeah. if they were giving yeah, they that kind criticism. of feedback. And I know I know their process is very collaborative. But when it comes down to it, when you give the man the writing credit, when you give the man that paycheck, it sucks. That it, that does suck. And I, I know they are changing a little bit, but the infrastructure of how Disney works is you have to work your way up and you have to be with them for so long and they test you over and over and over again. Right. And that's it it's it's a then becomes a systemic problem. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested in, in learning more about that process be, because that definitely makes a lot of sense that if even if women are being mentored and groomed for these kind of jobs now, we won't see it until you know, 10 years from now when they're given the opportunity to finally do it. But my question is, are women being mentored? I I feel like so often, and, and I don't know how much of this even factors into prejudice, but like people gravitate towards, you know, you remind me of a younger me to mentor. And if everyone working at a high level there is a white guy and custom sort of trains you and this goes for powerful women training younger powerful women as well but like if you're drawn to someone who reminds you of a younger version of you with potential then who is supposed to mentor these like younger women animators or like aspiring i mean it's something that's brought up again and again but it's so fucking frustrating i'm like does does a woman need to just completely self-educate herself and not be guided along in the same way that that uh you know a guy would be and it seems like that might be the case of just like okay you've got to work twice as hard to get the same thing and you're gonna have to take all the shit along the way i'm just like uh, i'm just ranting yeah no you're (laughs) making uh all the right points because yeah then women are put in a position where they yeah like you said have to work so much harder it takes them so much longer they don't have the same connections as someone with a powerful mentor does have so so them having those same opportunities is just so much less likely to right. happen. I mean, yeah. And, and it, you know, it's like sort of that thing where it boils down to like, is your work good? Which I don't think men have to uh, confront that basic truth as much of not only are you not going to get the mentor opportunities that this person working on an equal level as you who's a man will, but also like show me what you can do in spite of the fact that you don't have the same amount of access and you have to work twice as hard to get the same thing. And I mean, it is nitpicky to an extent because Moana does so well, but I would, I would hazard to guess that so much of the success of this movie comes from gentle guidance or hinting, heavy or not, from, I would guess, women mm-hmm. that 
eventually the credit ends up going to these men. And the fact that you were saying that the the mother was dead in the original draft is like, a fucking course she was. And it's just another example of like, okay, the, the woman's going to actually know the right thing to do, but someone else is going to get credit for it. And just, ugh, I'm going to flip a it's table. It's very frustrating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I can... just ranted for maybe 10 consecutive <laughs> minutes. Can we talk about the climax a oh, bit? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about, talk about the climax. I always want to yeah. talk about the climax. This is 88, 9 at 9. Let's talk about the, the climax. Yeah. <laughs> she realizes, uh, he says, you have to return the, the, the heart to the spiral. And so she mm-hmm. goes and she makes, she's running from Taka, the, the fire monster, and she runs up to the top of, of the island chain and she looks and sees that it's missing. And then she looks at Taka and sees that there's a spiral on her chest. And when you're watching this scene, you can kind of see leading up to them that it has a human form, the the monster, mm-hmm. but also a very feminine form. Yeah, totally. Yes. And so you she realizes that it is it is Taka is Tafiti. Yeah. And uh bawling. Mm-hmm. And she just like she sings this lullaby this this mournful song saying i'm sorry you were hurt you were victimized and i'm here to make that good again uh, yeah and she, i know who uh, you are right right and she listens like yeah i was so prepared again i feel like you're conditioned by these types of movies for that villain to be killed Right. And not somehow reformed or revealed to have good qualities because the lava monster, again, to harken back to another princess movie, vaguely reminded me of uh, the part in The Little Mermaid where Ursula gets huge, Mm -hmm. uh, where she steals the crown. She's like, I'm huge now. And she gets harpooned by a man, Mm -hmm. by by Prince Eric. Yeah. The hottest prince. uh, (laughs) And and she dies and then everything is fine. But this seemed like, okay, here's this other... Uh, monstrous, villainous female character, and not only is it resolved by the female protagonist, but no killing happens. Right. I don't think yeah. anyone is killed in this movie, as except the coconuts. Just some coconuts. Yeah. The Which coconuts. It's just a broad representation of male violence. It's a massacre. <laughs> the coconuts is a massacre. <laughs> but they're adorable. Another um, so cute. Another what I thought was like more Indiana Jones illusions were when they're finally escaping the coconut pirates, their two of their ships start to collide and they have to yeah. escape through them, which is what that happens in Last Crusade. And I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. I Now that you say that, I'm, I'm sorry to keep going back to the mother character, but now that you say that she originally wasn't there, that totally checks out because she barely plays a She's role in this movie. It. That was one thing I noticed where every... All the criticism of like Moana, don't go, it is from the dad, and so it makes sense that the mother was sort of written out because we have a few moments between her and Moana, but nothing plot changing or significant that I can think of. Most of the oppositional force is her dad. Mm-hmm. It is her mother who gives her almost gives her permission to leave. Yeah, that brings her brings her food for the journey and says, mm-hmm. right, uh, maybe you, even doesn't she say see, anything. She comes in, yeah, she comes in and she sees Moana packing. For right. this trip that she has to go on and like realizes what's about to happen. And we as audience might expect, oh, she's about to try to dissuade her from this or tell her she can't go. And instead she like gives her gesture like, yes, here you go. Here's the you food may. you need. Mm-hmm. Off she, you go. She understands the drastic nature of, of what's happening to their island. Right. It's dying. Mm-hmm. And the father will 
would have just let it die. Yeah. The chief would have just let them all die. Male pride. It, yeah. Basically, yeah, the metaphor I came up with is that the heart was is the EPA and all the men <laughs> in the story are like the Republicans who are like, we don't need this. Whoa. It doesn't matter that the, that the world is dying. We're fine. Yeah. And I think a white man wrote it. <laughs> Wild. Uh, at the end, I would like to say that Moana receives a Georgia O'Keeffe seashell that she oh the conch shell the vagina conch yeah (laughs) that's beautiful i was like i it's perfect that this movie ends on a beautiful vaginal note Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i liked it a lot they did not need to make it pink however they were like you know what this should look like i think that's what conch shells uh, look like though they're usually pinkish they're sometimes white on the outside and pink on the inside but this was like deep just like me this was like you could also see this is a puss yeah (laughs) and the the shell did come (laughs) (laughs) it just squirted salt water i was like all right we get it it's all over this is a hot movie yeah moana fucking rules she's the best um, I like that she's such an empowered character that they didn't need to give her the standard best friend character, um, which I feel like a lot of Disney princesses have. is like a female friend to be like, hey, you're great. And, you know, Moana is great. And that just comes across. We don't need this ancillary person to be like, to like you're hot. Yeah. We like you. It's like, of course we like you. You're Moana. Right. And she knows it, too. She's so confident. She mm-hmm. screams, I am Moana. I was like, oh, God, I want that for one second. I right. want to feel that way. She's confident, but it's also balanced by, like like I said, the self-doubt that she has about, like, right. is this mission the thing that I'm supposed to be doing? Am I capable of this? Which is just very realistic. It just shows that she's a dynamic, well-written, interesting character mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not just, like, what a lot of Disney princesses have been, which is pretty just one-dimensional and flat and boring. Mm-hmm. Right. One of my favorite moments of the film and it's a film. It, <laughs> it is, is a film. Is right after she sings I Am Moana. And she dives down to get the heart back because she's thrown it into the ocean like Rose at the end of Titanic. Right. <laughs> giving it back. She goes and she gets it and she and it's the music swells and she bursts back up and the music cuts out and she's the ghost of her grandmother is gone. Her boat is broken and she is alone in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it is just this beautiful moment of, oh, my God, this is still so dangerous for mm-hmm. her. And this is the moment where she has the most confidence and where she is about to kick ass. Yes. Yet it is stark and quiet and she is alone. Mm-hmm. And it was just it's just like a punch in the gut, but then a like a good a good punch in the gut. <laughs> and we have Stupid Chicken to provide. Oh, Stupid Chicken. Love Stupid, stupid Chicken. chicken. Was clearly for, like, the younger kids who went to see the movie who, like, aren't smart it's enough It's the Ice to... Age squirrel. Right. Yeah. Right. They're like, this is a goofy physical. Speaking of Ice Age, that's the other, that's the <laughs> voice I can do. <laughs> yeah, stick with that <laughs> one. Yeah. Hey, guys. <laughs> I don't know what to do with myself right now. <laughs> um, I, uh, so I, I did some research on the directors, and I know we touched on the fact that they're straight white men, but I think their history with Disney is also super interesting because they also directed, um, I guess, what is considered the second most groundbreaking Disney princess movie, which is Princess and the Frog, first mm-hmm. African-American Disney princess so it, I guess it sort of makes sense that they were selected to 
do this other female progressive movie. I would also argue Brave uh, did a lot of great things. So I thought that was interesting. And then years and years back, they directed both The Little Mermaid and Aladdin, Hmm. which I think we've referenced in different ways in both of these so one of the interesting things that the uh that the screenwriter talked about it is it john wells is that his name uh john let me look it up it's there's a few different th- writers yeah the, the one who's who's kind of credited jared john bush. musker oh oh wait no that's one of the directors <laughs> jared bush yes that is jared right bush. jared bush yeah. okay i said john wells so it was, <laughs> it was <No>. not right <laughs> i don't know who john wells is um but one of the things he was saying was they Disney overall, because they had these basically patriarchs of the of Disney animation who yes. were working on this project, that they wanted to have some of that kind of old school Disney animation in the film. And so uh, specifically, it was their idea that when during You're Welcome, the song, when it mm-hmm. switches to both 2D animation and 3D animation, mm-hmm. that was their ode to kind of hearkening back to that time because that they were was, so good with it. I That's so funny because I, I remember thinking when we were watching that, that that number vaguely reminded me of Friend Like Me mm-hmm. when they kept switching to different backgrounds and that sort of carried through as, oh, that and they were the directors of Aladdin. There you go. Also, we've got to talk about Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. Love Hamilton. Mm. As a person, think Lin-Manuel Miranda is <laughs> so obnoxious. <laughs> Hate watching him talk. Respect the fuck out of his work. Yeah. And that is my stance on Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> but um, I would like to take a moment to brag and say I once went to a college party <gasps> with Lin-Manuel Miranda. Wait, wh- where? Thank you. Is that UMass? And his... Uh, his uh, improv team, Freestyle of Supreme, of course, <laughs> they Jesus came, Christ. Well, their beat, his beatboxer went to UMass, and so they came of back. Of course, he is a beatboxer. <laughs> uh, so uh, I don't remember anything about him from the party, uh, but I remember he was there. That's, That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's really, and I loved uh, uh, In the Heights. His first musical is so good, yeah. and he's so good in it. Uh, but he's just, I, I, as with any major figure, it, it reaches a point where he's like, okay, you're too present. Like, take a step back, pull in Adele, have a baby, you know, <laughs> get, get your life to get, yeah, take a step back and then come back and we'll be like, oh, we missed this guy. Right now it's like, get out of my targeted ads. I'm sick of this. <laughs> but uh, no, for, he didn't write all the songs. He wrote some of the songs in this movie. And I feel like you can sort of tell exactly what they are once you know that he wrote on this movie. Like, you're welcome. Like, stinks of Lin-Manuel Miranda <laughs> and his style. Um, and in a I, good way. It in a good way. It yeah. stanks of him. Can we talk about top knots in this movie? Yes! I uh, loved the role of top knots in this movie. What is that? The the hairstyle oh. of like when it made sense for Moana's hair to be out of her face, it was fucking out of her face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. great. Same with Maui though. Same with Maui. Yeah. He got a he, he has a he's a little man top knot. <laughs> I had no idea that's what the hair style it's a beefcake top knot. <laughs> that's the name of my new really bad improv team. <laughs> yeah. Beefcake top knot. I one of the things this is a little off topic, but going back to the beginning of the story, where she's poised as she's going to be the next chief, mm-hmm. even though 
she's a woman. She's a girl. Right. Um, never question. Usually, yeah, never, never question. question. She's just like, you're our daughter. You're going to be the chief because you're the daughter the of the existing chief. Out loud. Yeah. yeah. So it's never like, oh, but you're a woman, so you need to marry a boy so that he can be the chief. No curriculum like, introduced. Right. Exactly. So um, I, I, I love that that's just never a thing that's brought up. It's just like, yeah, you're the chief because you're the descendant of the current chief. Doesn't have anything to do with your gender. Right. Um, love that. And you see her making she's like kind of in training when she before she leaves uh, the island to go off on the journey. And she's like making important decisions about the crop. Oh, our, these trees are diseased, so we have to plant a new grove over there. And here's all my suggestions about how we can fish differently and all this stuff. And she's like giving sound advice and really like making important decisions. Mm-hmm. And it was just like so refreshing to see. She that. was, yeah, she was never really questioning herself yeah. then. No. Uh, she only really started to question herself when she got into the ocean, when she explicitly had her father's and that, not opposite of permission. And that and that made sense in context because she genuinely did not know what she was doing yeah, at the right. first time where mm-hmm. it's not like she's not doubting herself because she's a woman. She's doubting herself because she doesn't know what she's, she's doing. She's never done this before. And then yeah. when she figures it out, that doubt more or less goes away. Mm-hmm. So that was dope. Loved it. Another thing I wanted to point out is that it's so seldom that when there's sort of like a chosen one in a story, it's almost always a man. Mm-hmm. You got yes. your Harry Potter Matrix. You got your yeah Neo from the Matrix. You got your uh, your Frodo Bagginses <laughs> and your Luke. A lot Skywalkers. of diminutive men yeah. are chosen as the one. Yeah, when uh, the second time I watched this, I watched it with uh, my boyfriend and halfway through he was like oh so this is star wars like, mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it's star wars sort of yeah i mean just I mean, like in the hero's journey yeah, power class- of myth kind of exactly. sense a classical call to adventure but so often it's the a man who's is mean. doing that mm-hmm. it's, it's so just again so refreshing to see it as a woman because mm-hmm. we so rarely see that although i do when someone says chosen one i do automatically think of buffy but that's mm. because oh, point. buffy hit me real hard at a very specific age and yeah. so that's just stuck with me i think i think it is cool that because this when you map it out it really is a very 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 standard hero's journey mm-hmm. but a hero's journey that is usually for a male character like it's mm-hmm. not a princess's journey it's a hero's journey yeah which i mean i don't know I, if this were a story about a man it would be boring it would not be mm-hmm. super interesting to see a man be like, I can do things, but sometimes I'm sad, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we see Moana do it, it's I, it's so crazy and like reflective of our own culture that we're like, what? Yeah. This is the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Because if we made her a man, I don't know how much I would have liked this movie. Yeah. Probably not that much. It would have just been like, no. okay, cool. Like, okay, cool. Great. Yeah, another one. Good for you. She really didn't have any major flaws that were, you know, kind of preyed upon for story or or as faults of her own. Do you think that's a a bad thing or an okay thing? I don't I don't have any problem with it in yeah. this movie. I mean, I think the only person who really goes after her is Maui and she's gone she's gone after mostly for youth and inexperience. Right. Like, I feel like that's the most commonly cited thing of he doesn't toss her out of the boat to a certain death because she's a woman per se but, because but rather because he doesn't mm-hmm. see value in her skills and right because she's he keeps saying because you're mortal right. you're a human right right regardless she is tossed out of a boat multiple times <laughs> left to die constantly left yeah yeah to yeah die. yeah 
The ocean saves her. Uh, but tat. He gets a tat of her at the end. I know. It's really heartwarming. I was heartwarming. like, oh my God. Aspirations. There's a couple. So <laughs> when the coconut pirates attack them. Um, <laughs> the coconuts. <laughs> there's a, a, a couple different times where she either saves Maui or saves herself or... And then it, toward the end of that scene or that sequence, she's like, all right, you're not going to help me. I'm going to go do it. And she has to be the one. Because she knows coconuts. She knows coconuts. She's, she's, now she's they're not, just sentient. Yeah, it's interesting. It's when when they were far away and when they were lots of them and when they were approaching and they were menacing, she was scared. Mm-hmm. And then when she found out that they were coconuts, she lost her fear. And she was like, oh, I can handle that. I can handle this. Yeah. Even though they still were dangerous they still were shooting <laughs> those coconuts had her. darts and yeah. knives they're also talk about like and and not to take away from the value of the coconuts as characters uh <laughs> not that that scene could have easily be taken out but that for me that was like what a what an excellent marketing move let's introduce these adorable emoji like characters that are slightly violent but ultimately very cute that we can put on a backpack oh, like sure. it was I, mm-hmm. I think when we were watching it I, I equate them completely to the aliens in uh, the alien toys in Toy Story of just like here cute things that people will be like oh the oh, little I coconut this little toy for my little boy I want this pencil so this case movie, of the coconut boys this movie can make more money in merchandising give me a backpack of the coconut boys (laughs) give me a little alien backpack that that said i would get a backpack of the coconut boys for sure i already have a whole collection of the figurines (laughs) oh my god there was the one part of the movie that felt like oh this is this feels like for kids that could have been yeah Yeah, but also it's a kid's movie so that's okay (laughs) right true 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 Uh, that was yeah that was the one scene that i was like eh how different would the movie be if that were, you know, there's so many scenes where Moana takes action and agency that I feel like eh, that's the, the emoji coconut scene. Mm-hmm. That was for the backpacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, can we talk about her going to the monster realm? Yeah. Yes. 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 Because it's it uh, again, she is told to stay put that she's she's not going into the monster realm and she immediately follows him up this giant uh mountain (laughs) made of these pillars like the giant's causeway and and goes there and then he's like all right are you gonna jump in with me doesn't think she's going to and then does Mm -hmm. uh which is awesome and it was very scary and all these cute great like scary crazy monsters and then we meet this like amazing crab who is another version of greed and masculinity in that and in this pompous way, but also in a very lovable way. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, what a lovable villain song. Mm-hmm. Um, so sexy. Yeah. The oh Disney God. villain songs are always the best Disney songs. Always. Yeah. Just, oh, always. Was so I was worried. I mean, I was telling you, I was like, is there not a villain song? Because <laughs> if there's not a villain song, where's the best song? This is a, this is a great song. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoy it. Jermaine crushes it. <sighs> He's so sexy. How many times am I going to say that? So, he's okay. the horniest person alive. Every time he <laughs> speaks, or especially when he sings, I'm just like, you're for sure rock hard. Like, how <laughs> he's singing this song as a crab, Are but you he's sure? like for sure erect. Are you sure that's not just how he makes you feel? No, I don't get no, erect. I'm, it I'm makes a, me feel that way too. I'm a sexless being. Oh, I see. I, <laughs> I don't see sex. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I'm a, I'm a person of sex. I'm so. a person of sex, but like I don't see sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but he's he's extremely he's deeply horny. <laughs> <laughs> and in that scene, it's Moana who saves the day yes. again. Mm-hmm. She does not get horny. She does not get no. horny. She does not get distracted by. By the sexual glam rock right. at play. Yeah. yeah. She, she no. saves Maui and she uh, it, allows them to escape. Mm-hmm. This is another example of one of the very few movies with a woman lead that the stakes are life and death. Because so mm-hmm. often if there's a, a female lead in a movie, it's a rom-com where like the stakes are very low. Am I going to get a date? Right. And is this guy going to fall in love with me? Um, and the so, stakes are related mostly to men and the stakes were not related to men. Right. They were right. I mean, all people. I feel like a lot of times with like the princess movies too, it's like the biggest risk for the female character is just going back to where she started where like, had Aladdin not swept Jasmine off her feet, she would just still be a princess. She'd be if, married to that uh, Prince Ahmed, right? Who was a jerk, he was such a <laughs> punk. And then Ariel, if she couldn't get Eric to kiss her in three days, she well, I guess she would have turned into a weird Ursula shrub. I guess oh. that was a little bit higher stakes. Belle, but she risks her whole life for him. She's right. the whole thing starts it's because not she her. has a bone for Eric, which get it, but but grow up, <laughs> grow up. But it's I think that I'm sixteen shows, years old. I'm not a child. Yeah, they're both sixteen because Moana true. is sixteen. So it's nice to show. I wasn't sexual at sixteen. I was thinking about things, but I didn't know what. I had no tangible idea of what sex actually was. Right. Yeah. So Moana is a much more relatable character to me because that's. I didn't get my first kiss until I was 16. It was scary. <laughs> I didn't know what an erection felt like. I was like, oh no. Wait, why was there an erection in your first kiss? That's on him. I don't know. It was on him. <laughs> it, was t- it was on him. I think physically. you told this story. You guys were standing on a rock or something. Yeah, Bona Rock. <laughs> we're standing on Bona Rock oh as it, it was henceforth known as. And the first saxophone player of the band was like, I think you're great. I was like, oh thank God. you. And then he kissed me. And then I was like, what's going on? Because we stood up and we should not have stood up. But also, there, I was so undereducated about sex that the first time someone went down on me, I was horrified and thought it was his idea. Like he had made it up. Oh, he invented <laughs> oral sex. He invented <laughs> oral sex on a woman because I was, you know, he was, we were what, like 17, 18. He wasn't good at it. And it was happening. I was just remember thinking like, this is deviant behavior. Like why would someone do this i am i'm just i feel far away from the action did you not learn about i feel like i, I did not remember. get sex education oh I, see. At all. I got like abstinence plus education but i think they mentioned oral sex yeah well, the first time someone went down on me i was i fully i consulted someone younger than me i consulted a sophomore in high school i was like have you ever heard of this like what or do i need to call the police <laughs> and she's like no that's ex- extremely common and actually is considered like maybe a good thing and i was like oh okay well i don't want it again but glad that i don't need to call an ambulance right. for myself <laughs> i wish i'd called the cops Hello, and like, um someone's face is on my vagina and i don't like it <laughs> should we send a should we EMT? send a patrol car like what how old is he sorry um, sorry gang there's a moment there's a moment where moana has to stroke Maui's 
frail, fragile <laughs> male ego. Yes. Because he's like, I'm not Maui without my hook. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, just grow up. Yeah. And she, yeah, he just. Well, I mean, I would argue he sort of does the same thing for her when she's feeling insecure. Uh, not to say he is like this terrific character, but I think that that is almost a mutual thing where there are times in the movie where Moana needs to be pumped up a little bit and made to sure. feel confident. And the grandmother character serves as that boost a lot. But there is at least one instance where Maui is like, no, you know what? You're doing a good job and you're ready and you're capable. It doesn't come to later in the movie. Right. It but takes him a long time. That didn't bother me too much that she encouraged him once that almost felt like no a... it didn't bother me I'm, I'm merely just pointing it out that it's a thing that needed to happen because right he needed to be able to, to return have, yeah and just very fragile egos that need right and boosting. he owed her more than he owed her more of like a boost than she ever owed him because oh, he yeah. was not great to her right. oh he again i love maui i'm so glad everything works out at the end mm-hmm. but if it wasn't the rock he that gets forgiven he gets elated into being this demigod again and forgiven because he helps Moana restore the heart to Tefiti, which is which is great. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting that Tefiti forgives him and gives him his hook back. Yeah, or gives him a new hook, and I think that is incredibly female. Not just forgiveness, but forgiveness on such an incredible scale. Right, um, because he he doesn't really deserve it and even at the end moana has to like hit him to like bow to her yeah yeah like show some yeah. goddamn respect and it's and we're supposed to have empathy for him because his parents tried to kill him or threw him into the ocean when he was a baby and then mm-hmm. he was saved by gods and it's like if that isn't such a male narrative i don't know what it is it's right. like same thing happened to shrek it's like because of this because of this horrible thing that happened to you very early on, you immediately got incredible power and then you abused it and abused it and abused it and were punished for it and are now punishing the world trying to get it back. That's a Shrek narrative if ever I heard it. <laughs> Shrek is isolated by his parents at a very young age, as is the ogre tradition. Mm-hmm. Shrek strikes out on his own, establishes his own swamp to his credit. Mm-hmm. You know, he comes from nothing. He's got his own swamp now. He's a small business owner. He's a small business owner. He's got his own swamp. <laughs> He built a life for himself, but he's kind of mean. He's kind of resentful towards the world, and he's a bully to all the other fairy tale creatures. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and then the rest of the movie takes place. Yeah. Good kind one. of a Shrek narrative. I'm just playing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shrek, another beefcake. But it's, yeah. I mean, it's a relatable narrative, both for men and women. And ogres. <laughs> and ogres. Ogre people. Ogre, ogre Americans. Sorry, ogre Americans, we call them. <laughs> right. Bottom line is that all of her actions and her choices drive the narrative throughout the entire movie. Like everything she's doing, it has a consequence. It has a bearing on the story. She is the driver of the vehicle that is the plot. And like I mentioned before, she's the one who determines the outcome of the story. Like she's the one who restores the heart. And, like, more often than not, it's, like, a man who's throwing a wrench into things rather than swooping in as a savior. Right. Like, Maui, for the most part, he, he does ha- play a role and he does help and there's teamwork. But more often than not, I feel like he just presents a problem. Yeah, he's yeah. there often to create obstacles for her. 
one of the reasons why I cried so hard when I when I saw Frozen for the first time, and then again when I saw this, was just thinking about uh, a generation of children, of young women, who get to see this movie. Yes, I had the same thought. And it's beautiful, and it's beautiful for them to see Moana as a hero, but also to see Maui, how to interact with Maui's. Because mm. we all, you are going to come up against Maui's for your entire life. Mm-hmm. And if the lesson of this movie is that you have to grab them by the ear and tell them what you want and make them do it, mm-hmm. it's uh, in this world that has to be done. Yeah. Right. It's Absolutely. great how defiant she is toward him and, like, and toward her father. Her father kept being like, don't go off beyond the reef. It's too dangerous. And right. time and time again, she just, and it got to the point where it was, it became the inciting incident where she then ventures off into the great unknown. But again, sub out the ocean with heroin. And it's so <laughs> oh, I thought it was cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> it was cocaine, but now let's, let's raise the stakes. No, it's heroin. Heroin. <laughs> He's like, no. And she's like, I am naturally inclined to enjoy this beautiful natural element. That is black tar heroin. <laughs> anyway, why haven't any princesses been addicted to drugs? Where's that movie? I'll direct it. I my my goal in my life is to make a a movie about conjoined twin royalty, mm. mm-hmm. and then they try to get separated, and like one dies. <laughs> and then the inciting incident is that she's got to go and there's a whole i have an outline i'll send it to you okay <laughs> hey i'll give you i'll give you notes thank you so this much is a callback to an earlier episode yeah um oh. hey here's something i thought this is a, just a dumb fun thought i had mm-hmm. is on the the coconut ships there's this big <laughs> drum and they're all attached to ropes and they like come down on the drum and beat the drum and mm-hmm. i reminded me of mad max fury road oh, the, the drum vehicle, guy mm-hmm. the, the steampunk drum guy <laughs> mm-hmm. Another fun thing in the outline of this, this this conjoined twin princess movie that I've outlined, the the surviving conjoined twin is a woman in STEM. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it really is the most empowering movie of all time. She's also a lesbian. Because well, she has to dedicate her life she to She also science. can fly a plane. <laughs> and she's pretty amazing. That's great. Um, I will definitely. <laughs> it might be extremely bad. <laughs> cool. Does anyone have any like final thoughts about the movie? I just love it. It's amazing. Oh, it's an so amazing much. movie. It's beautiful. I was worried you might not like it, Jamie. Cause, really? Because you just saw it earlier today. Yes, I did. And, uh, so yeah, I don't know. Oh, I had hyped it so much that I was afraid that it wouldn't live up right. to the hype that I, I had created. Yeah, I mean, I knew you loved it since you saw it in theaters, but. No, I mean, it's like, it's so good on yeah. every level. Like, mm-hmm. we don't even need to talk about whether it passes the Bechdel test. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does in the first, like, 10 minutes. Yeah. I was talking to a uh, a comic who um, had seen it and taken his son to see it, and uh, it had been too worked up, and they, they did not like it. Oh, um, and the thing is, I didn't care. No. I was like, it's not for it's you. It's not for yeah. them. Exactly. This it's is not, not for you, and I don't care. I want little me. boys to love this movie, <laughs> but it's not made for them. Yeah. See, I think it is important for them to at least see it and understand the me- and like at least take away something from it because it might put a damper on toxic masculinity mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is part of why the patriarchy is still a thing. 
So I think the more, you know, little boys can become enlightened to oh, for oh, sure. I think so struggle. Too. I mean, I got something from Toy Story, but that movie wasn't made for me. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, and, and we as little kids were forced to see all fucking manner of male heroes journeys or like this beautiful French woman's fucking a dog in a suit. Like we were presented with very <laughs> I'm few sorry, options. Which one was that? That's Beauty and the Beast. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's like, <laughs> but there, you know, it's. I would love for little boys to be forced to watch Moana, but there's so many other options for them where they can be like, oh, I'm really, I'm great, and I hope that that goes away. It's hard. I mean, it it's hard because. I don't know how Moana was marketed, but so often like these really good, empowering female driven movies are sort of Barbie marketed to the point where it's like, oh, if you were, you know, the everyday parent, you wouldn't think, oh, I should bring my little boy to this movie, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't know what the solution to that is. I mean, you can un-Barbify it, but I don't know how much inherent press, uh, like prejudice goes into well, I think I think having I think Maui's character was kind of big in every marketing piece. I remember I think that they were selling the rock pretty hard on it. I mean, if when you've got the rock, <laughs> you know, you you got <laughs> I do kind of want to talk about the scenes that pass the Bechdel test, though, um, just for uh, one consistency of our podcast and two because they're great. First one comes when Moana and her mom are talking about Moana's desire to just be out on the ocean and to venture off and her dad is mentioned so but it's not the context of the conversation is not really about him it's more about just her desire and her longing to be on the ocean and in the ocean a similar conversation happens a little later on between Moana and her grandmother where Mona's talking about putting the stone on the top of the mountain, which is like symbolic of her accepting her role as the leader and the chief mm-hmm. of the community. And she's questioning like who she's meant to be. And again, her dad is mentioned, but again, that's not really what the conversation is about. It's more about like her destiny and her desires. And then another conversation between her and her grandma happens. Oh, I think it's just at, like after she discovers that her ancestors are voyagers, mm-hmm. and um, and her grandmother shows her that. Right. Yeah, her grandmother's like bang on the drum, and, and your questions will be answered. And then after that, her grandma's like on her deathbed, and that's when she's like, "You have to go find Maui and tell him to restore the heart." Also, they but, they uh, do a rare displacement of the horny grandma trope. This grandma doesn't get horny, does she? Mm-mm. Just horny for sea creatures. This horny. Yeah. Well, that's for true. Stingrays. Oh, God damn it. Mm-hmm. Because I, the other grandma character that I can think of besides Grandmother Willow, who can't get horny, she's a tree, uh, <laughs> is the grandmother in Mulan, who is very horny. Mm-hmm. Also very helpful. Mm. Helpful and horny. Well, it's. I don't think it's actually fair to say that she's horny for these stingrays. She wants to be one, and she <laughs> admires them, and it doesn't mean she wants to fuck them. She's empowered by the stingray. Okay, yeah. I, I really want to get this grandma every benefit of the doubt, because I really love her. And all the other grandmas besides the tree are horny. Um, hey, should we rate the movie? Let's do it. So we rate each movie on a scale of zero to five nipples. <laughs> and then we describe the nipples, if we so choose. Okay. Um, I'll go first. Is, fi- is five? Five is the highest. Five is the most nipples. Like, great. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think might be what I give this movie. This might be yeah. the first five. This might five nipple movie. Uh, the only thing that would make me hesitate about it is the fact that 
the filmmakers, the directors and writers were white dudes, but that doesn't really seem to have a bearing on the story the way we might think. So if you're just isolating the narrative itself and not thinking about the filmmaking aspect of it, it does such a terrific job representing women in a way that Disney movies uh, and movies that young girls are seeing haven't really done before. Mm -hmm. Uh, The relationships between the women characters are so wonderful and strong and refreshing to see. Moana just has so much agency and she's so active in all of her decisions. And she's just a great, dynamic, multidimensional, very lovable character. And I love her so much. Five nipples! Five nipples. Describe them. Well, I'm not... Okay. Describe them. Five of them. Nine at night. So I know that crabs don't have nipples, (laughs) but five nipples belong to... um, Oh, pinchy nips. (laughs) Oh, Tammy Tua. Jermaine the Crab. Oh, maybe I wrote it Jermaine the Crab. Hello. Jermaine the Crab. It's me, Austin. Britt, Caitlin. Where's Britt? (laughs) Britt, Jermaine. Britt. I give this movie five nipples as well. Great. Uh, I would be interested if anyone's listening um, in how, if if anyone is familiar or integrated into Pacific Islander culture, um, how you felt the movie represented that, because I really don't have a context for that. In a layman's sense, it seemed like it was pretty respectful of the culture. But Mm -hmm. again, if if you have more knowledge or insiders, yeah, we would love to hear it. I was trying to read about like, whether or not Moana was based on any mm-hmm. um, folklore or mythology or anything like that in Maui and the different creation stories and stuff like that. It seems that they took like a combination of different like Polynesian yeah, and Pacific Islander things and sort of like molded it into one thing. And I think there was some criticism about that from those communities that like, oh, like, why did you mesh them all together kind of thing? There was also Disney a- has a resort in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was also a Maui costume that was released that was considered disrespectful and was pulled from mm. the shelves. A I real see. merch mix-up. Uh, regardless, my I give it five Moana baby nipples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would also give it five nipples. I love it. Well, uh, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's uh, been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I feel like oh. this might also be one of the first times that all three of us, Jamie and Caitlin and the guest, mm-hmm. love the movie that we're talking about. Genuinely. Oh, yeah. So thank you for bringing us such an exciting movie to talk about. About to blast the soundtrack in my car. Yep. Oh, yeah. Blast it and cry I'm home. frothing for it. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> Where can people find you online? Wow. Um, I am on Twitter at Natalie Baseman. And um, I'm on Instagram, too, and I am off Facebook for mental health. And, sure. Well done. Um, my, my Twitter right now is uh, mostly just retweeting angrily, but my Instagram, I post pictures of things I cook. Wonderful. Perfect. <laughs> what uh, about you, Jamie? Do you have anything you want to mention? I'm Hamburger Phone on Twitter. You can watch my cartoon every week on Cafe. It's called Boston PD Zamboni Crimes Division. It's very funny. And that's thank you. Caitlin watched me make one today. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. it was fun. It was so much fun. That's all I've got. Uh, you can follow me at Caitlin Durante, and you can follow the podcast at Bechtelcast. You can also listen to us on iTunes. You can also rate and review us there. We really appreciate it when you do that. Yes, and, or and Libsyn and Google, Google too. 
Also, I don't know if I, I use the Overcast app for my podcasting needs, and it's amazing, and you can get anything on there. And then it's just a quick a quick hop to iTunes to rate things. I oh. love it. I, lo- I use the po- this the standard podcast iPhone app as well, and I get a little ping every Thursday morning when it's like, hey, remember this thing? Remember that thing you did? It's, it's now oh. available to the public. Yeah, love it. So keep listening. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. We value you. You get five out of five nipples. Yes, you all do. Thanks, and bye. Bye. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10... We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. As a high school student. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear, with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.